0: a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll.
1: Welcome to Breaking Banks Europe, episode 126. I am Paolo Cironi, your host today, and today special, I'm happy to launch the first episode of Breaking Payments our new podcast series dedicated to the innovation in the payment space across industries, technologies, geographies, and business models. And this first episode is powered by PPRO. pro You all know PPRO, pro an industry trusted provider for local payments infrastructure that powers global growth for payment companies. Now, payment modernization is a foundational and mission critical business for any digital solution. We all know why because a seamless and secure payment experience is an essential element to eliminate friction in user journeys. This has no industry boundaries, no digital analog restriction, no geographical confinement. Payments are also a very exciting contending space in which most of the FinTech unicorns and the non-banking platform providers that aggregate financial services under their umbrella challenge the banking primacy globally. They are actually ahead of banking. And the two words which I want to stress in today's episode are unicorn or growth and global, in short, how to grow globally. With that in mind, in this first episode of Breaking Payments, we will learn first, how added value can be generated for clients in the payment space. Second, which are the operational challenges that payment providers have to resolve? Third, which are the key differences among markets that needs to be resolved when scaling from local operations to a global presence. And fourth, which is the winning culture, how inorganic growth can foster competitive advantages to succeed, especially when targeting distant markets. In my banking career, I worked for a bank that merged twice. And I founded a startup in Germany that was acquired by IBM in 2013. I have learned the pains, but also the amazing gains. And today, I want to hear from our speakers about their experience and their suggestions. So it is my pleasure to introduce our guests today, which represent Pipro, a fintech unicorn in its making, Ansimo, a payment fintech recently acquired by fintech unicorn Papaya Global, actually pending regulatory approval, and Ripple, a fintech unicorn itself. So let me start with Xavier Balaure de la Paz, the Chief Operating Officer of Bipro. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Paolo. I'm also glad to welcome Dora Zambia, the Chief Operating Officer at Asimo. Welcome, Dora.
2: Welcome, everyone. Thank you for having us.
1: And let me introduce you to Sandy Young, the Managing Director for Ripple in Europe. Welcome to Breaking Payments.
3: Great to be here. Thank you.
1: So then, let me ask our guests just a few introductory questions before we deep dive into today's topic. Xavier, how did you join Pipro and what do you expect from today's conversation?
4: Um, I joined Pipro through, or, or I decided to say Pipro through an acquisition that Pipro did uh, three years ago. Uh, Pipro acquired a company called Alpago, uh, of which I was a uh, co founder and, um, and CEO. Uh, and from the very first moment, you know, when I, when I met people, I was super excited uh, to the challenge that they were trying to, uh, to tackle. And that's why I decided to, to, to stay.
1: So Dora, in two sentences, tell us about your experience at Azimo.
2: In two, it's been eight years that feel like 20. Um, it's been an amazing journey uh, of growth and I've learned a great deal.
1: Good. And uh, Sandy, I I think you joined Ripple very recently from MasterCard. What is your new role?
3: Um, Yes, so I I manage the European region at Ripple. I joined uh, just last June. Um, It does feel like a lot longer. And um, I mean, I've been at MasterCard, I was five years, I was working very much at the intersection of payments and and technology, a lot of emerging uh, technologies uh, but with the obviously growth of the blockchain crypto space, um I really wanted to jump on board, be at the heart of the industry and be part of that massive change and be in that sort of driver's seat with a lot of other people in 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 this in the sector. So. Uh, okay.
1: only <laughs> so let's deep dive and get straight to the core of the discussion, or I believe is the core of the discussion, the problem or the opportunity to generate added value. Xavier, I really want to get your opinion about this. Uh, um, Can you give me examples on how uh, payment providers and infrastructure can add value in the payment space?
4: Yes, for example, I can give two concrete examples. One is more towards fintechs, uh, like, for example, Stripe. So we partner with them to to innovate and provide uh, more payment methods uh, in, in the market. So not everyone, I think, can keep up with the pace of companies like Stripe. So if you think about it, they board, they have a thousand four hundred new companies joining them every day. Uh, that's half a million a year, which is a lot. And so, for example, concretely, you know, we were trying to see with them how can any of their clients have access to the payment methods that are relevant in Europe, but also in APAC and in Latin America, while at the same time not going. Crazy in doing the whole onboarding, screening each one of them, doing KYC, etc., which would be totally unfeasible. Mm-hmm. And so we build a solution with them, uh, doing you know payment methods uh, that would be available at the same time at the, at the very first moment, but would only onboard in the first transaction uh, when the first transaction happens, and that dramatically increased the adoption of of payment methods. That that is one is like can you keep up with these new innovators? But the other one is also companies like, for example, BNZ, which is one of the biggest acquirers in New Zealand, are trying to have a customer base, uh, have a lot of merchants on their side, and they struggle to be at the forefront you know, of, of technology, uh, like Stripe was doing. And so how can we help them uh, providing technology and 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 be cloud based and and provide the boarding or all the all, all the features you know that stripe can do uh for them in the market and there's also something that that we can do for them
1: so in essence the infrastructure is to facilitate fast onboarding of them mm-hmm. without reinventing the wheel in correct right so that's one way and then um, it enables uh, multiple parties to join a standardized framework that can get specific in their location because Not all locations are equal in terms of uh, jurisdiction, in terms of uh, challenges. And and I also want to dive a little bit into these uh, differences today because our audience uh, is uh, global. We have a special focus on European markets, but we have a global audience. So it will be good to learn from you guys today what you believe are the key differences uh, across the board. So now, uh, having heard from Xavier, uh, I would say that uh, one of the things that... uh, payments uh, is looking to resolve uh, is the problem of the market efficiency. So this is a very pervasive industry and the markets are not necessarily efficient, uh, some segments more than others, but in essence, uh, many contenders are, uh, if you like, uh, competing uh, in order to streamline uh, and automate uh, and basically win uh, the heart of all the other players to be working with their platform. which. Leads the question in the direction of uh, uh, Sandy, uh, as uh, a Ripple is uh, very innovative in the way it is tackling the issues of uh, the market efficiency. So, how do you think that this can be effectively tackled the resolved?
3: So, this I think also ties into the previous question around the sort of where 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 where, where can we add value as well. I think. Um, so the reality is that you know current payments infrastructure, financial services instru- infrastructure, was built in the pre-internet era, right? It is decades old, and it is not fit for a purpose for the way we live and operate today, which is a lot more global, on-demand, um, and, and instant. You know, we want everything at the click of our fingers. Um, when you look at, for example, the cross-border payment space, right? There's still you know two, two trillions of um, dollars of payments that are sort of trapped capital in, in destination accounts. Six um, percent of payments get lost. Um, it still costs, you know, about seven, six, seven percent uh, in fees to send money abroad. Um, and with all of those inefficiencies, I think where sort of crypto and blockchain you know, adds value and, and addresses some of those inefficiencies, uh is really bring this ability for uh instant settlement creating new sort of lines of liquidity and providing ability to to make those payments um, again instantly um preventing the need for these locked capital around the world so that you know the companies uh that we work with can use that to actually uh grow and expand their business um I think specifically around the sort of some of those like kind of challenges, I think liquidity has been a big uh, challenge underpinning the crypto space. Um, and that will really underpin sort of the enterprise adoption in that space. Because again, if we look at some of these, you know, maybe if you're sending, uh, I don't know, US U.S. dollars to euro, not such a big issue. But when you come out of those uh, G20 markets, right, if you want to send an imperial salt Indian Ripple, still there is um, there's kind of lack of liquidity and, um, and, and challenges out there. Um, and, and really, I mean, today the, the, liquidity in the crypto space has been growing significantly, but still limited to a a handful of exchanges with, um, uh, it it used to be limited to a handful of exchanges with a few million dollars of volume across all assets. And that's, um, significantly has been growing yet. It's still very fragmented, a bit similar to, uh, traditional effects markets, um with maybe a bit of an exception that it is a bit more focused on the crypto exchanges um but really what we're seeing is like even as this fragmentation grows, more and more companies, institutions wanting to offer crypto services and that's one of the reasons again we are you know looking we're offering more things we've recently announced our liquidity uh, hub solution which will basically help companies um essentially source you know digital assets as and when they need at the most optimal prices.
1: Sandy, do you think there are more opportunities to eliminate inefficiencies in cross-border operations or within the jurisdictions?
3: Um, I mean, there's a lot of efficiencies. The space we've initially been mostly focused on has been the cross-border payment space. I think that's where particularly um, crypto and blockchain solutions can add a um, you know massive amount of um, value. I think in within jurisdictions, you know, uh, it, it's not it's not perfect and it's not all all nice and 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 and, uh, and, and green. Um, having said that, I think there's been a lot more innovation, a lot more uh, adoption of sort of real-time payments, um, solutions, um, etc. Again, really depends on which, which country, which jurisdiction around the world you're looking at. Um, I think from a jurisdiction differences perspective, I think regulation is, I think, the biggest difference. We see a massive range, um, which maybe we can talk about it in a bit later as well.
1: So a question to Dora. Um you are a money transfer provider. So how do you resolve the inefficiency problem to give value back to customers?
2: Yeah, if we're going to talk about the obvious inefficiency of um, price and speed for um, consumer payments here for cross-border and I'm pretty sure I know that everyone here on the call has lived in a country not from where they're originally from potentially at some point in their life or potentially continue to do so and that's something that has been happening for decades and still it's one of the most um, cumbersome processes and um Sandy also quoted the 6 to 7% cost um, but also the onboarding particularly when you are a new person in in a new country and don't have uh, a bank account um so the first step for us was to on do this digitally in in you know instead of doing the uh, brick and mortar which was originally the model of the likes of western union moneygram which they continue supporting um at this moment um, but the first step was to go digital to also be able to reduce the cost on that side because um, more people have mobile phones now. Potentially more people have mobile phones than have ever had laptops or uh, desktops. Um, So uh, Asimo is a digital uh, money transfer cross-border payments company, in other words. um, And that was the first step in reducing the, the cost by uh, simplifying the value chain. Uh, the second thing, of course, now has become speed, uh, to send this point. Uh, we're so used to, can I call it instant gratification? We expect the money to be there um, right away, particularly when we're sending money to our loved ones, when someone is bugging. In quite uh, customer stories we hear always like, oh, yeah, I need to pay the school fees, or I need to do something, and my relative is um, needs the money really urgently. Everybody needs the money really urgently, but some of the payment rails do not work in, in that level of urgency. So uh, this is what we've uh, been building for years in Asimon, trying to make those payments as seamless as instantly as possible and at a much lower cost. Uh, there are a couple of other obviously fintechs working in the same space and um you know the, i think the prices for these players and what we offer is you know way below the six seven percent um not even uh, in most cases below one percent. Um, so this has been uh, our mission uh for uh, many years. and I think we've we've succeeded uh to a certain extent, but the market is vast, right? there's uh reported eight hundred. Billion per year uh, sent in remittances. That's the reported. At another 40, 60% unreported, you're getting a pretty large market on the consumer payments.
1: I actually wanted to discuss a bit about the size and opportunities in this large market. But before we get there, I have a question for Xavier. You heard from Dora. She said uh, cost and velocity are the two key ingredients that uh, allow them to generate value for consumers. So I do believe the infrastructure is addressing both elements. So Cost reduction and the velocity of the transaction in a secure way.
4: I think Sandy was was pointing out, you know, very well on certain of the challenges are coming because the market is very fragmented. Uh, but at the same time, as uh, as users, we're getting used more and more that we can go to anywhere in the world and use services uh, anywhere in the world, and then we expect that payment, you know, uh, goes as as well and as fast as having a cab with Uber should be as seamless and as as easy as possible and i think depending on the jurisdiction of the markets you there are certain markets that are trying to that are arriving there uh but definitely when you're starting to go into the complexity of trying to do that globally the infrastructure is definitely not there uh, there's not the interconnection uh the technology is very old is it's still crazy. The banks still use text files in order to reconcile transactions. I, I I just don't understand that that still happens. Uh, but also is because the industry is so hot, there's a lot of MA that is happening. We are <laughs> an example of that. Dora is also an, an, maybe not an example of that. You have all these multiple platforms uh that have been added into the system and they're not well-synchronized and well-connected. And that is something that we're really trying to to help, not to orchestrate all of these connections better and to have consistent flows, consistent points of data that you can receive and and build the products on on top of that. Uh, I think there's still a lot to do. So
1: Dora was mentioning uh, uh, the size of the market and also the remittances market. Uh, Uh, We all know that uh, the number of banks uh, carrying over remittance businesses has been shrinking uh, in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, So the margins uh, are still there because it can be expensive for the users to access those services. Uh, But in essence, uh, overall, uh, uh, traditional bankers uh, are seeing payments more and more like uh, a cost center instead of uh, a revenue center as it used to be in the past. Uh, However, uh, they might be missing the point uh, because payments uh, is uh, an invaluable source uh, for revenues when seen horizontally across organizations for the generation of new business models. In essence, uh, the nature of payment is uh, changing uh, from a business perspective uh, to facilitate the transformation within the industry definition, the banking industry definition, and beyond the borders of the banking industry definition. So, So, yeah, we'll get back to you to start uh, uh, this more conversation around uh, How do you see the payment space uh, evolving uh, in terms of how the various actors are positioning? How is the market is uh, transforming in terms of margins? Or how is the competitive landscape going to be shaped by different technologies?
4: I think you're right that the last decade, banks consider payments as being a cost center, and actually some of them went out. We have, for example, you know, certain lines of us, like uh, Deutsche Bank or Citi, that are coming back to payments. And the reason for that is that payments is the base uh, with which they, you can offer all the financial products. So you, if, if you don't have the base of the transaction then you need to deal with one or the other, you, it is very difficult uh, to offer treasury services like uh, FX or providing liquidity, uh, even loans. Uh, I don't know if you know, but for example, in China, Alipay in just five years, I think, and financial to be to be concrete, uh, in just five years, they managed to take 20% of the loan market to merchants. They're so strong in the payment services that they're offering to their merchants that afterwards they have built a, a connection to the banks uh, in order to provide loans in a matter of seconds. So and because they have all this information about, about the, the transactions, the banks are really able to receive the information that they that they need to price properly and bid for that loan to, to merchants. So I think banks and, and other payment players have recognized that and ha, has totally changed their, their their opinion on payments. And that's why you also see right now companies are starting to say a better finance, uh, which is basically with the base of payments, be able to provide additional financial services?
1: You truly speak my language. Uh, two emerging strategies are occurring uh, in financial services worldwide. One is the contextualization of banking or embedded finance more in general. And the other one is the uh, primacy of wealth management to transform the relationship with clients. Now, if you think about the traditional bank, uh, a bank used to be a credit institution with services on the sides like payments, and then investment management insurance. Now, the new starting point in these two strategies to recreate business models are payments when you create a platform engagement across your boundaries. So that's the starting point, it generates the data. Or the framework for planning well and management. And today we focus on the first thirty-two. So payment, as we're breaking payments, to understand how this is the new foundations of uh, the next generation of business model in the financial services industry. And uh, uh, Sandy, um, Ripple is definitely at the forefront of this. So how do you see uh, the competitive landscape transformed by? Provided like you, that uh, excel in the usage of technology, new technologies to create a different type of interaction among the participants. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually, I do see the sort of the impact of like crypto and adoption of blockchain and payments just as like that next phase of evolution of payments, right? Because payments have gone through, have been going through a massive transformation with you know increased digital adoption, accelerated by COVID, obviously, uh, more increased adoption of real time, uh, real time settlements. Um, also, you know, spurred by regulation in, in, in some parts of the world. Um, and I think, again, crypto blockchain is, is kind of the next, uh, I think, phase of this. Um, and in a way, I mean, I see that, um, like, what is payments, right? You are moving money from one place to another place. Uh, I think just looking at it as money is, in, in a way, very limited in today's world as why well because we are in a place where we're seeing that everything is being tokenized and we believe increasingly will continue to do so, right? I mean, last year was this massive year of a massive boon in in, in NFT. So from anything from like real world assets to digital assets, everything is being tokenized. So more and more, I believe like that ability to move value seamlessly across the world on demand when you need it uh, efficiently at a fraction, you know, almost almost um, at no cost is going to be increasingly important. And I think that, that's where um, blockchain and crypto has a, a kind of massive advantage and enables this. Um, I, I feel that you know, this is really the first time we're able to create these very digitally native experiences and, and, and ways to move value. Um, I mean, with Ripple from the earlier days, basically, um, it's, it's, I mean, I actually don't know any other company like that who has really focused from early days using crypto and blockchain solutions to address a very specific use case around this cross-border payments. And there's been obviously lots of hype cycles and speculation and, and you know, not really, you know, not really just following those, but solving those, those issues, because that's where the sort of big value, um, I believe, is. And we've been partnering with, you know, enterprises, you know, and and lots of different parts of the ecosystem, right, from banks, which, you know, we've been talking a lot about from more like payment service providers and and others, governments, regulators in a number of ways, because this whole, the change is all across the ecosystem, right? Um, All the central banks are looking at central bank digital currencies now, right? Whether they're in research stage or or more advanced pilot stage or, you know, in China's case, already at massive adoption stage. Um, so, um, I think it is important. So, they, they, I, I guess the point is the transformation is all across the ecosystem. Crypto is kind of the next and the latest phase of that, that evolution. Um, and, you know, we've been focused on basically solving this, this, this um, use case from, you know, early days with crypto and blockchain. Um, and we're seeing that more and more um, those partners, various ecosystem players that we've been sort of speaking with for years almost coming to us in particular banks again looking at like where can i how do i get on the crypto journey how do i put it as part of my strategy because i want to be part of that future
1: sandy thanks for uh your answer and i actually like it very much because success in payments is about success of the ecosystem because payments is about the ecosystem now we have to um, engage in a little stop for 10 seconds. We have a commercial to share, but uh, everybody stays with us. Less than 10 seconds, we're back discussing uh, breaking payments.
5: We are Pipro. We globalize payment platforms for businesses so they can offer more choice at the checkout and boost the sales. Payment service providers, enterprises, and banks that run on our infrastructure are able to launch payment methods faster, optimize checkout conversations, and reduce the complexity of managing multiple fund flows. Citi, PayPal, and Stripe are just some of the names that depend on us to expand their platforms beyond borders. In 2021, we processed 14.7 billion euros for our partners. And with a growing global team of over 500 people, it's no wonder why we are considered the go-to digital payment experts.
1: Welcome back to episode 126 of Breaking Banks Europe. And today, we are enjoying the first episode of our new series, Breaking Payments. I'm here with Sandy Young of Ripple, Dora Ziambra of Azimo, and Xavier Laure from PPRO. Now, we've been discussing a few things about uh, what is happening today in payments, uh, how technology is changing the relationship among the participants. Uh, and I want to understand a bit more from uh, our guest uh, about uh, the key challenges uh, and what we can expect in the future. I started dropping an uh, idea uh, uh, myself, but uh, feel free to develop uh, your own. Uh, if you think about the history of payments, uh, we know that one of the first, uh, if you like, a, moment, a breakthrough moment was uh, the creation and invention of the ATM. So basically, before, if you wanted to buy a Gucci bag, uh, you had to go to your bank, queue you up, get all the cash, go back to the shop, and put them on the table to get the Gucci bag. Now, with the ATM machine, you didn't have QAP. You went to the ATM machine around the corner, put the card inside, and get the money out of it. But that was not enough. The second thing that happened was the invention of the credit card. So now you didn't even have to go to the ATM machine. You could present the credit card and get your goods back. Now, what is the essence of this? The essence is the bank, the ATM, or the credit card are a proof of identity. So, in essence, the real essence of payment innovation is the creation of a mechanism basically to prove that you are trustworthy as an individual, that your identity is as such, and you have money in your account. Now that you're shifting to digital, we cannot think of payments transformation without the transformation of digital identities, especially where we consider very complex uh, ecosystem that needs to operate the one with the other. So I guess that in my view, the future of payments is also the future of uh, digital identities. Uh, Xavier, what is your take on this?
4: I agree. It's very interesting what you're describing because when when I was studying payments, someone was explaining to me all the different um, players in a in a digital transaction. You know, from an acquirer, an issuer, the 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 company that is helping you to identify, etc. And then he was comparing that when you go into a restaurant and you're paying cash, which all of that industry disappears. You just handing your you know your your, your ten dollar cool. bill or ten euro bill, and then that's it. Um, so it is incredible that the moment that you don't see the other and you cannot trust this other person, the whole industry, you know, that that uh, that 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 generates of that. Um, I, I think you're right. Uh, I, I think uh, there is a big component about identifying not only the end user, but also the merchant. There's a lot of uh, fraudsters that are uh, hiding themselves behind. uh uh, merchants you know in order uh in order to get money uh but that is also that is only one one component uh one component to it i i think there are new experiences that didn't even exist uh before so we have for example a, a big belief that in the future any end user should be able to pay however it wants anywhere in the world is not is not even about um, that if you're in a specific country, everyone is paying with, I don't know, in the Netherlands with a deal. Or if you are in the U.S. with a credit card, it's just that anywhere where you are in your virtual world or in the world, you should be able always to pay the way that you like to do. And that makes it extremely complex for the merchants, but also the payment companies to know how to implement that, how to recognize you, how to recognize your preference. Uh, because in the end, if you're a merchant, what you want from payment methods is to finalize the transaction. That's the most obvious one. The second, can you get me more clients, you know, to my products that I didn't even know? Uh, because you you already know them, you know, by, by the payment method. And the last one is, can I do it, Extremely efficiently, you know, either cost and speed. These are the three elements that 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 is always thinking, and uh, and and I, and I think these are what the infrastructure needs to move in order to to uh, to to make the the system work better.
1: Lara, what is your point of view?
2: Oh, it's it, it's quite complex. I I do almost see. Um, I'm kind of going to go a little back into a point that a lot of companies or payments companies, whether they admit of being payment companies or not. And if you were to um to give you examples of gambling companies, you know, they're very good at doing payments. Um the likes of um Spotify, you know, they're very good in payment systems. So because anything, any service that's digital requires payments. And the merchant to Xavier's point is wants to get the money. And and so I think this makes it um quite Interesting and challenging at the same time, especially when you go global, because you want to offer all pay-in methods and all payout methods, so the customers can use it and don't have to think whether, oh, can I use my US credit card, can I use my AliPay, well, right, we want to offer everything, I think this is going to continue because fragmentation will continue i even though there are interoperable real-time systems in most cases we see quite a national view you know uk has faster payments europe has sepa whichever one i think singapore and hong kong are now connecting the rails but yeah globally you need a hundred payment methods probably a long page of uh Hundred things to use, but the customer doesn't care particularly. They just want the one that they want to use. And I think this is where we see the emergence of a lot of players that do the orchestration. You know, can you hide everything and just give one? Just one, just just pay. Um now and because this is so complicated and fragmented, I don't see it going to free unless we we go down the path of a functioning blockchain, which we can't, don't even agree on that one. I, I let's send the expand on that. Uh, I think we will remain. I think more and more um, consolidation of putting everything in one payment method uh, is because what the that's what the consumer is looking for. But I also don't think it will be for free. Um, if we were to go back and think of, let's say. Interchange scheme fees, the credit card charge, right? Those are there and they will not go away because the banking infrastructure is still has not become efficient when it comes to payments.
1: So Dora, while answering, you generated an apple link as you talked about the differences across markets. I want to put it there. I want to click on it and get back to you in a second about that, because that's important. But before I want to address my previous question to Sandy as well. Now Sandy, what's in the future of payments, the QR code or the blockchain, the CBDCs or the crypto or still the US dollar?
3: All of the above. (laughs) Um, I I agree with Dora, right? Um, I think it's going to get, you know, we've talked a lot more about different sort of payment methods, um, consumers wanting choice. Uh, which, which yes, all of that I think exists, but it's going to get even more complicated, right, with this greater adoption of crypto that we are seeing not only on the retail side, but on, also on the on the B two B side as well. Um, and and with that, right, you know, not only your you know credit card, etc., open banking acceptance, but then you know everybody wants to pay crypto and with their NFTs and CBDCs and 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 in you know instantly interchange between them from your wallet at, all, at, at the same time. So uh, I think that's going to be the, the future reality. And I think that's, you know, companies, you know, like Ripple, I think that's what we're here to enable um, with that kind of still fragmented. And, and um, the, the reality is a lot of these crypto, right, they're created for different use cases. And that's why I believe like they're going to they're remain. Um, and that interoperability will be increasingly important. So I think, you know, they. Um, that's what we're looking at, you know, XRP, which is the digital assets d- we use to bridge between basically two fiat currencies today to move value across the board that can play, a, you know, increasingly bigger role uh, to bridge that gap and, and enable that uh, interoperability, which will be even more important in the future.
1: Okay. So, Dora, Sandy's uh, Sandy's enriching the Apple link. Uh, we said that there are differences uh across markets uh, and now we also have the metaverse market coming so <laughs> a lot of variety so can you can you tell me where do you see the major differences uh, think about companies that want to scale globally so they have to tackle all of these issues so they need to find the criteria to navigate through
2: yeah there would be two angles one uh, well three one is regulation we already mentioned regulation is different. In each jurisdiction so and that cannot be uh you cannot override it right it is what it is you work with it um the second thing i'd say is consumer and, and customer preferences uh vary quite a bit uh in the remittance space for example in terms of payout methods we see a lot of variation I and mean, some countries prefer mobile wallets you know kenya ghana the poster children as i always say mobile wallets. Philippines now is becoming more and more wallet market, at least in cross-border remittances, um, uh, as a payout method. Uh, and then other countries are bank deposit, you know, classic. You send money from the UK to Poland, you send it to your bank account, and it's there within five minutes. Um, so the customer preferences varies quite a bit. Um, and, and the third thing I, I would also say is just the infrastructure. It's just... Different, right? Real-time rails, mm-hmm. slow rails. You know, we try if if there's no real-time infrastructure, um the approach is to let's say connect to each one of the banks. You connect to the first five banks, connect the like 10 bottom banks, but this takes time. And doing in a you know, integration with a tier two bank in Country X in a developing world, it's just quite heavy lifting, or they might not even have the API that you want. Then you might be be sending files. So you you have those limitations that you cannot overcome, and you have to find ways around it, essentially.
1: So Xavier, Dora is throwing a ball to you. She mentioned infrastructure across markets.
4: Yeah, exactly. I, I was waiting enough you know, for you to give me time. This is exactly what we're trying to, to solve, no? Dora is pointing out very well that depending on the markets you have, you um, have suppliers or infrastructure you know that's more modern than the other and what we're trying to do with orchestration is to normalize that that when you're trying to navigate and go global that you're able to assume complexity as you're ready for it and what I mean with that is how much do you want to uh to stay uh let's say authentic to the payment method you know and the the very specificities of how they do that in in the market. So, for example, I don't know in Brazil, you know, they have this payment method called boleto bancario, uh, in which is a prepaid payment method, you know, and and you have and you show a payment slip. It's very difficult how you handle, for example, your stock uh, in an airline uh, when you have a prepaid payment method, because basically you just know that you have a customer, but he hasn't paid, and until you don't have a confirmation of payment you don't know if if you really have sold that uh that uh, ticket uh, so sh- and and you really need to rethink uh and, and and what we're doing is we're normalizing that so that you can deal with that all all, all across uh all across the world i also want to mention one thing which is we mention constantly banks and financial accounts etc a lot of markets still have a lot of cash uh and um, and that is something that is still need to be dealt with there are certain payment methods that are trying to just digitalize that money and be able to handle it uh but it's still uh is still tricky and then the last thing that i want to point out is the importance of of the data i, I think one of the things that um, digital payments is really bringing into the market is providing lots of amounts of data that makes that the pricing is more accurate Basically, and that you can even lower the price. And in the end, on financial products, rely on statistic statistics models in order to uh, handle, you know, know how much is the risk of a default if you're a merchant, you know, a, if you're a merchant or a or a fraud if you're if you're dealing with users, and all of that data and having more and more data allows you to price it better.
1: Basically, so there's actually different uh, uh, habits. Uh? Um, across the European countries. Uh, For example, when I take a taxi in Milan, often I read the sign saying we don't take credit cards. Uh, When I'm in the Nordics, uh, there is a sign saying we don't take (laughs) cash. (laughs) And but once once uh, I got into a taxi, they said we accept bitcoins. And I'm not sure that it's uh, worthwhile to pay with bitcoins. But then <laughs> thinking well, <same> <laughs> think about all of these and the differences that uh, you have to face when uh, you invite your clients to use your technology and your solutions for payments.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, particularly this in the crypto in the blockchain space at the moment, the, the massive stark contrast between the free markets is, is really around regulation, I see, right? Um, so you have kind of the, you know, complete ends. On one hand, you have the sort of outright bans with likes of China and, you know, they want to focus on the central bank digital currency, and that's the only one that's going to prevail. Um, on the other hand, you have sort of in the U.S. more of a um, regulation by enforcement, you know, a lot of industry buddies kind of trying to work out who's going to regulate what and how and when. Um, and then... Um, you have more, I would say, maybe, you know, a bit more in between is, is, you know, places like UK and Europe, I would put the same way, but also other countries like uh, Singapore, Japan, I think Switzerland are good examples where the focus is more around providing like rules of the road, more f- clear regulatory and licensing frameworks. Um, so that you can achieve, you know, all elements in terms of both sort of consumer protection, but also encouraging innovation um, and clarity um, in the markets. Because the reality is, I mean, without these kind of, I think, clear, consistent, thoughtful thoughtful regulations, uh, I don't think any country can really thrive sort of the way, you know, the financial services payments is going with this increased adoption of um, crypto and blockchain. Um, I mean, I, I I feel very fortunate, honestly, you know, being, you know, focused in the UK with the, the business I'm focused on in, in Europe, um, UK has been a leader in, in um, providing sort of more clear guidance in the uh, around crypto, but in general, even more in the uh, fintech space. Um, and I see a great opportunity to continue to do that and continue to be a hub for not just fintech, but crypto and, you know, some of the government has, has, um, has stated, you know, clear objectives and ambitions. Uh, to continue to play that role. So I think um, we're in a great place, you know, lots of work to be done, but uh, we're in a great place and, and um, I feel fortunate about that.
1: That's good. So today we talked about technology, we talked about interoperability, we talked a bit about uh, regulation, uh, money transfer, and now I want to talk about you, your experience to conclude. Um, I said that we have today um, Sandy, she moved from Mastercard to Ripple, so quite a change in terms of uh, uh, corporate culture. We have Dora. She just got acquired, I mean, her company by uh, another company pending uh, regulatory approval. And Xavier, who joined the people uh, through an acquisition. So culture is an essential element uh, when you grow because you acquire not just pieces of technology, but you acquire talent, ways of thinking. And I guess it requires uh, an effort on both sides. Uh, to synthesize the new common framework that enables everybody to move forward. So I might start from Sandy, then Dora and Xavier. If you want to share your experience, some lesson learned, we would be very eager to, to hear about it. Sandy.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Culture is, is absolutely very important. It's that kind of invisible glue that you know binds everyone together and and kind of marching towards the same. And and um, I think it's really exciting again in, in a place where Ripple, I think, where you know everybody is a true believer, and you know this is the, the way you know the financial services and payments and uh, even beyond like how companies adopt crypto and blockchain uh, is gonna evolve. And I think that's a really exciting place to be uh, for. That. That angle i think in a in a you know being in a very you know fast paced uh growing uh place it's always important you know is to think about like to keeping that dynamism agility being able to be very quick and you know turning things around and, and and growing uh with your customers and being responsive uh but also um you know keep being able to you know grow and and have those systems and processes and and infrastructure um to make sure that you have the efficiencies to enable that growth but not let it you know hinder that culture and and speed um i think that's something really important and you know we're thinking about this Honestly, on a daily basis, um, you know, in the London office, we have about 60 people and growing massively, um, hiring quite a lot. So it's, it's a, you know, a day-to-day consideration. And, you know, we're very proud of our culture, I would say, at Triple so, and it's a great. It
1: might be. be no middleman on blockchain, but definitely with talent, a <laughs> teaming gap, right, to make it happen. Nora, what about you? What is your expectation? What is your experience?
2: Um, Well, given that we are not one yet, but we're very excited to be joining a, I would for sure say, hyper growth tech company, right? And that was important to us in terms of culture, um, in terms of uh, are we willing to try and, as we say, quote unquote, break things, but also uh, be very careful uh, not to they bring innovation without breaking. Because if you think that, you know, Azimo has been focusing on remittances, uh, Papaya focuses on payroll. Payroll is one payment you do not want to break. You know, if your salary doesn't make it, it's even worse than the money you're sending to your mother or to your sister. Um, so there is a very interesting combination of the two companies coming together. Culturally, uh, we have the same, um, you know, I don't want to use also passion and Vision of making payments as seamless as possible, uh, but also being terribly aware of the importance of those payments uh, that we do send uh, before as remittances and now as in uh, as in payroll. So we hope that. The culture as the, you know, culture, what did Peter Drucker say? Uh, culture, its strategy for breakfast is very important because we are um, both willing to try new things and grow really fast and expand, but also be very careful on, of the detail, right? Given the context of the payments that we are making.
1: So Xavier, you made it happen. What is your experience?
4: It's funny, no? Because uh, l- last month, uh, so I came I to be with acquisition, and last month we announced that we are a company called Alpha FinTech. So now I've been a little bit on both sides. um I think for me, what we define in our culture, for me, I even call it, you know, a mission fit. I, I think if you bought a company, it's because you really like what they have achieved, and that they have a really sense, a, a big sense of a, a of a mission and what they're trying to uh to achieve, no, which is what you describe right now, you know, Dora uh, in a zimo, no, uh, and and, I, and you want to. Keep that, and I think on the side of the company that, that that got bought, I think sometimes you have the impression that you need to just embrace and abandon everything because obviously you're the one, you know, that get acquired, and and, and they know better. Uh, and and actually, I, I realized through time that actually you have a lot to offer. That's why they bought you. <laughs> uh, um, and at the same time, uh, when you're acquiring, you want to to give the space for that company. That, that you bought that they still are innovating, they're still doing you know what what makes them special for you. And it's not an easy balance. What we realize is that one of the things that works the best is that from day one that you form a certain team that from both sides with the right seniority that is working together. What is this this proposition, you know the the one to one is equal to three together. And what are the details about it? Um, because that is what is going to make that every little step that you're doing is just reinforcing that you're doing that better uh, better together, but at the same time that you're giving the space to the company to grow as you expect that to do.
1: So I'm very pleased that we started discussing the modernization of payments and we ended with a conversation about how humans are interacting to make it all happen. Now we are at the very end of uh, today's show. I want to thank Sandy from Ripple, Dora from Azimo, and Xavier from PPRO. I remind you that this was episode 126 of Breaking Banks Europe, but actually the first episode of Breaking Payments uh, that uh, has been powered by PPRO. PPRO, as you all know, is uh, an industry trusted provider for local payment infrastructure that powers uh, global growth for payment companies, and that's a
0: wrap.